We're going to be in Philippians uh, chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be picking up in verse 19, and we're going to be reading through verse 26. I'm going, to, I'm going to go through this portion relatively quickly, and we've got something special as well today. So, if you want to get there in the Bibles, on your phone, they will not be on the screen today. Um, I'm reading the ESV. Verse 19 says, yes, and I will rejoice. Let's stop there for a second. Last week, we talked about how Paul was writing to the Philippians from prison. He was writing to the Philippians, and he's literally chained to a Roman guard on house arrest, and he walks around with him. And, and Paul is saying, hey, like, I want you guys to know that like, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing in my imprisonment because I have realized that God has actually used this to advance the gospel and get the gospel out there. And he's like, it looks like I'm chained up. And it looks like I have no influence. I'm stuck in this house. But he's like, I want you to know that the entire imperial guard and Caesar's household. Imperial guard. (laughs) Uh, The entire imperial guard and Caesar's household have heard the gospel and know that I am in prison because of the preaching of the gospel. And he's like, and so my imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel, to get the gospel out there for more people to hear it, for more people to receive it. And not only that, it's increased the boldness in the church in Rome. They see me and they're seeing the influence I can have from from prison, from house arrest. And they're getting more bold, saying, if he can do that from there, what can we do as free men? Right. And so we saw last week how. In every high and in every low, God has the intention and purpose of getting the gospel out there and using every opportunity that is available. And so when there are highs, we want to celebrate, and it's natural. And we're like, oh, good things are happening, good things are happening, and we celebrate. And then there's lows, and oftentimes in the lows, we miss the fact that there's opportunities there as well. We miss the fact that God is saying, hey, in this low, I'm going to use it for my glory. I'm going to use it for the advancement of the gospel. And so Paul is, in the last portion that we read was saying, I am rejoicing even in this low. I am rejoicing even though it seems that I'm going to receive execution, that he's going to receive the death penalty for preaching the gospel. And, and this, um, the Jews had accused him um, largely falsely, partially uh, true that he was preaching the gospel. But uh, anyways, he um, he's saying, I am rejoicing in these lows. And the gospel is getting out there. And then he says, and yes, I will rejoice. Right? And that that verse right there speaks to me so much. Because we have to plan and say, we have to say in our heart, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. It doesn't matter if things get worse. If if I end up in more lows, more trials, more um, difficult circumstances come into my life. I'm going to commit in my heart right now that I'm going to continue to rejoice no matter what. And that's why we t- talked about, um, you know, the first couple of weeks is that the secret to bliss isn't some kind of euphoric high we're talking about. It's about true divine peace and joy that God gives us. And we're going to say, I'm going to continue to live that no matter what happens. If things are bad now and they get worse, if things are good now and they get worse, it doesn't matter. I'm going to continue to say, I will rejoice. And when circumstances change, I will continue to rejoice. And so Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. In verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, 
but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In this first portion, he says that he is confident through their prayers that this will turn out for his deliverance. And as you read it, you think, okay, he's thinking he's going to be released from prison. But then he clarifies. He says, as it is my eager expectation hope that I will not be um, at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. And then catch this, whether by life or by death. He's saying, either way, I'm going to be delivered. Whether it's delivered and set free from house arrest so that I can go and continue to preach the gospel, or whether it's delivered to heaven where I will be eternally with my Savior and Lord. Right? He's saying, either way, I'm going to be delivered. Just what, what type of deliverance the Lord is going to give me, I don't know. And what an amazing viewpoint to have. And he's like, I'm going to rejoice. Even if I die, I'm going to be rejoicing like crazy in heaven. <laughs> Amen? What an amazing way to look at his life. He's like, I'm looking at this low. I'm looking at, by all circumstances, it seems that I'm going to be put to death. Nero was the Caesar at the time. This is the man who's going to determine. And, and at this time, it seemed like there was a good chance Paul was going to be put to death. And he's like, well, either way, I'm going to be delivered. Either way, I'm going to be delivered, and I am going to rejoice. He has such confidence in his salvation. He has such confidence in the work that Christ has done message of the gospel, that life or death, neither one scare him, neither one. He's going to move forward and press on. He's going to be delivered. And then this key verse, this very famous verse, for me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll come back to that verse shortly. If I am to live in the flesh, That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, he says. Depart and be with Christ. As believers, we don't have to be scared of death. We have nothing to fear. Because actually, death is only the beginning of everything that we're living for. He says, if I die, then I'm to be with Christ. Perfectly, in perfect unity with him. And that is far, far better. Verse uh, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. So Paul says, it's far better for me to be in heaven with Christ. Far better. But he says, I think it's more necessary for you if I'm freed. So what happened? All right. Well, if we look at church history, because Acts ends before um, this all plays out. But if we look at church history, Paul was arrested, as we know, by Nero. He faces Nero in Rome. And by most accounts, it seems that Nero let him free, let him go. But two years later, he was arrested again, and Nero, um, this time, beheaded him. What's really interesting, if you look at church history, directly after Paul's release the first time, what we actually see in church history is Nero goes crazy. We don't know what happened. I don't know if he had every intent 
to kill Paul. And because of the prayers of the Philippians and other churches, somehow God changed his heart or at least temporary, temporarily gave Paul favor in Nero's eyes. And so Nero let him free. But what we see, if you look at church history in the timeline, is directly after it, Nero goes absolutely insane and starts absolutely terrorizing the church, killing them, imprisoning them. He would even in his garden, in his palace, impale Christians, dip them in oil and light up his garden with burning bodies. And they would race around on a chariot lighting all the bodies that they would set up each night. It was disgusting and it all happens really right after Paul is set free. And then Paul, two years later roughly, is um, imprisoned again and this time he's beheaded. And he was only beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. If he wasn't a Roman citizen, it would have been much worse for him. But since he was a Roman citizen, they beheaded him. So, Paul is accurate here um, to say that he's going to rejoice either way. Because he is set free, but only for a short period of time. And then he again faces Nero. This time Nero kills him. And you know, as we look at this, it's so important for us to have the mindset of Paul. Because we don't know what our life has for us in the future, do we? I mean, it's easy for us to think, you know, some of us, uh, I'm young. I've got at least 70 more years. Do you, though? Do you, though? You know, I've known people who have died extremely young. Cancer, we were praying for a guy recently who passed, our church was. Um, 28, I believe, passed of cancer, right? You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You could walk outside today be hit by a bus. You have no idea what life has. And we must learn to take Paul's statement here and say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've surrendered my entire life to Christ. So for me, every moment of my life, every breath I breathe, it's all for Christ. Because he died and, and forgave me of my sins, taking upon my sins on him, and then rising again to offer me newness of life, to set me free from the chains of sin. So my life is all his. When we, when we receive the gospel, we don't just receive Jesus as Savior. The Bible says that we must receive him as Lord and Savior. Right? It's not, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'll continue to be my own Lord. If that's your mentality, you need to read the scriptures again. Because it is clear that Jesus must be our Lord. And so for us, to live is Christ. And to die is gain to be with him perfectly forever. And you know, today, looking at this scripture, I have actually both of my grandpas here today. Which is awesome. Um, For those of you who don't know... I am blessed to be a third-generational minister, you could say, or pastor. Uh, both of my grandfathers on both sides were missionaries and, uh, missionaries and served in ministry both overseas and locally, and my dad as well. And then I have the honor of being like a third-generation uh, teacher of the Bible. And everything. So it's, I'm very proud of that, right? Not, I know I'm very lucky to have so many godly men and women in my life who have spoken to my life since I was a baby. Um, and so we had my grandpa Lucas share um, a few months ago, I think it was, and I, my grandpa Montgomery is in town um, from Idaho, my grandma. Um, and so, you know, I was talking with him last week, and he, 
was just sharing about that, that truth of it's Christ who lives in us, you know, and how that's one of his favorite things to talk about. So I'm going to let someone much wiser than me um, go ahead and preach the key verse of this message. So, Grandpa, if you want to come up, I have a mic for you, and uh, just give us some uh, wisdom and, and preach to us on this verse here. Well, let me get this set. Yeah, let me get this. Two Bibles. <laughs> he, you guys have all got My grandpa's this. awesome. He found out we read the ESV because he saw it last week, so he went and bought one. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> we got to get a little light here on this subject. Well, I'm not uh, low-tech. I'm no-tech. I'm, I'm back, to the, back to the old Bible. And uh, I got saved while serving in the military, 1958. Kids, that's a long time ago. And uh, I've had the privilege of serving the Lord Jesus all of my adult life. And my, sorry for the tears, I can't help it. I remember, though, we were talking about this last night at a family function. Jim and I are in the bush in western Kenya, serving the Lord together, preaching, doing seminar or something. And uh, I came down with malaria. I didn't even know it was malaria at the time. I thought I had a cold, you know, because I was taking the pills, right? Well, they didn't work. So here I am. We're in a hut, a mud hut in this village. You remember it, Jimbo. <laughs> so I'm up at about midnight, and I'm shaking with fever, walking back and forth. And I hear out of the darkness, there's no light in this place, total blackness. Larry. Are you having fun yet? <laughs> so uh, that's the rascal of Jim. Yeah, I, uh, I've never used the ESV. I've always used the old King James Bible. I figured if it was good enough for Paul, it was good enough for me. But uh, I found out that you guys were using the ESV. So I asked uh, Kimberly, where can I get me a a used Bible. So she instructed me to go down to this half-price book place. So I got down there. And I found a beautiful copy of the ESV. And I met a young man in there. I won't go into all the story. But we spoke for an hour and a half. He didn't know the Lord. And we got talking. So I don't know what he came away with, but he was so thankful for what the things I'd shared. He said, man, you've answered so many questions I've had. You never know what's going to happen. Now, I'm not a singer, but I'm going to sing for you. And it's the song, nobody else has heard it. I only heard it once, years ago, back in the, about 1960, somewhere in there. I heard it on a record. Those days we used records. And um, it's my testimony song. I'm going to try to sing it. When I heard the Savior calling, I was out in paths of sin, far away from his salvation, with a heart of stone within that what your case was? Huh? 
a heart of stone, but his voice was so entreating with a love I'd never known. Come to me, ye heavy laden, I'll remove your heart of stone. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I heard him calling. I'm so glad he came that way. I'm so glad that Jesus found me, saves and keeps me every day. That's been my testimony. Now for, what, 58 years? 58 years. Who knew when we started out? For to me, to live is Christ. I've got to find my notes now, Stephen. I've got my original notes that I was trying to write on a napkin last night. And they were all spread out and looking weird. And my wife said, you better straighten those up a little bit. Right? Not a soiled napkin. Anyway, this verse that Stephen has alluded to here is a tremendous statement of faith by this apostle. They came after many years of walking with Christ. He had come to know Christ 25 years or so before this. And this had become his reality. And I want to say that really, really, it, so it's written in retrospect, but in the power of the Holy Spirit as he's writing. And it should be the normal, the normal experience for every true believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is normal Christianity. What do we mean by that? Well, there's some verses that we could go to. I'll try to quote them for the sake of time. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17 says this, and you probably know it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And there's a real emphasis here on the little word in. In Christ. It's not in religion. It's not in philosophy. It's not in anything that this world has to offer. It is in the person of Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, For in Adam, our first father, in Adam, all die. But in Christ shall all be made alive. I was talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses years ago. So I said, I want you to read in your Bible, which they did. And the lead witness read it. And he said, I've been a witness for 18 years. And I've never considered this. I'm going to have to consider this. I said, it doesn't matter. doesn't talk about being in the Baptist church or being in Austin Chapel or being in Whatever. You are in Adam, are dead, or you are in Christ and have life. That's it. There are no other two options. So, Paul, this is the background from which he's writing. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 
He is a new creature. And I trust that's your experience this morning. You've come to know Christ and you're in him. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I, I am crucified with Christ. Or I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul could say, as we've read it here, for to me, to live is Christ. Christ was his life. I've been crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And then in Colossians, I'll turn over there. Colossians chapter 3. Talks about being crucified with Christ, being raised with Christ. Listen to this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And listen to this statement now, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's pretty exciting. I wish I'd understood that as a young believer. I got saved when I was 19. That was a rather traumatic experience. I won't go into that. But uh, we haven't got time. But I will tell you one thing. I heard the gospel with understanding. I went in the Navy when I was 17. And my whole philosophy of life was let your glands be your guide. You know what I mean. And that was my experience. And they shipped me of all places to Japan. 1956, it was wide, probably still wide open. It was wide open. So that was my philosophy. But I remember one night in a bar with my beer in front of me literally weeping and saying there's got to be more to life than this so there back at my base I was off of sea duty at this time and a young man much like some of you young people here today had been transferred from Alaska down. And he said, Monty, they called me Monty from Montgomery. Monty, why are you doing the things that you're doing? You know, of course, I was one of the boys. We're on watch. What do you mean, man? You know, so I was braggadocian about the things that I was doing. But inside, problem. So he gave me a little booklet to read. So I went through it. And I became so convicted of my sins. I knew I was on my way to hell. Man. So I said, Neil, I'd like to talk to you more about Jesus. He said, Monty, he says, I'm just a young, I don't know, but I know somebody who does. 
We were in an underground communication bunker. He disappeared. Came back with a full lieutenant. That was a little embarrassing. I was an enlisted man, you know. So his man said to me, when we get off watch tonight, we'll talk. So I had full eight hours sitting there with nothing happening on my communication station in misery, knowing I was on my way to hell and a scared man. Eight hours. We got off watch. We drove up in his car to the barracks. Usually have food at night. I was too distressed to go to eat anything. And I went to bed in agony. And I tossed and I turned. I couldn't sleep. I knew I was on my way to hell. And then one of the most terrifying things I've ever experienced, and it's so real today, after all these years, I had a vision, and the next thing I know, I am running for my life in the flames of hell fire and screaming at the top of my voice, gnashing my teeth and running in the flame. Brother, this was real to me. And I came out of it. And this barrack is sound asleep. I don't know what time it is, in the middle of the night. And I begin to cry, Jesus, save me. You know what he did? Hallelujah. What a Savior we have. And I went to sleep with peace. And I remember praying there as I, before I went to sleep. I said, Lord Jesus, these things, where did Lord Jesus come from? I didn't know the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He's the Lord. I said, Lord Jesus, if you will save me, I will follow you all the days of my life. I had no idea what that meant. And I got up in the morning, had to go back on watch, opened my locker up, and there was that brand new carton of Camel cigarettes. Smoked two cartons, two, uh, two packs a day. Terrible stuff. And I thought, I don't need this stuff anymore. I gave my life to Jesus last night. So I had a buddy about two bunks down. I said, hey, Ray, do you want these cigarettes? He said, what's wrong with them? I said, nothing's wrong with them. I said, do you want them? He said, come on, Monty, what's going on? I said, Ray, laying in that bunk, last night I gave my life to Jesus, and I don't need him anymore. You know what he did? Hey, 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 money's got religion, he announces to the barracks. So he planted my flag for me the first, the first day. You know, I never craved another one. I started smoking when I was 13. Here I am, almost 20. our sister was telling me about the blood of Jesus this morning. She was hearing that. In that old song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other hope I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what happened to this 
young sinner at that time. Just before I turned 20. And I've never regretted giving my life to him. And so Christ is our life. And he says here again. For to me. To live. Is Christ. Christ. Oh brother Jim I know that's your testimony. Amen. And all you here who know and love the Lord Jesus. I won't tell on my son, Demo. They loved him in Africa. <laughs> he used to play a little organ. And one of the songs the Nigerians used to sing was praising the, they used to stand and dance, praising the Lord always, praising the Lord always, praising the Lord with all my heart. Praising the Lord with all my heart, always. Little Timo would get that little organ. Dun, 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 dun. That's how he played it, too. It's a little pump organ. He played that till the springs broke. Then I had to go down and buy two butcher knives and conform them into springs. And we, he got some more life out of it. And over there in Nigeria, if you're doing well, they say, he's trying. He's trying. They would say of Timo, he's trying. He's trying. I'm getting distracted, but I can't help it. Oh, Jesus is real, brethren. He's alive today, and he dwells in you if you know him. To me, to live is Christ, not religion, not Austin Chapel. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? Wow. So I got thinking, this is normal Christianity, and I want to just take a few minutes. You know, when we come to Christ, many things are automatic. It has nothing to do with our abilities or my action. Like it says, I am crucified with Christ. I didn't crucify myself. God put me into Christ and crucified me. God put me in the grave. And then God raised me up from the grave, spiritually speaking. These things are true of us if we know the Lord Jesus. We had nothing to do with it. Amen? Now, if you got your Bible... Turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. Oh, there we go. Got everything collapsing here. That's the trouble with no tech. John chapter 12. This is a a transition chapter. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 37. Speaking of Jesus, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. And it quotes the prophet to back that statement up. Why is it transitional? The first 12 chapters of John talk about his ministry in general. The rest of the gospel talks about his personal ministry to his disciples. And that's why I guess the gospel of John is so precious to believers. Because it talks about our relationship with the Father, with the Son. And all the things that are attendant to that. I watch these little kids here. Lincoln. 
That's a tradition. See these names in the Montgomery family. You know what my grandfather's name was out of Fort Worth? Gladstone. So why not have a Lincoln? Amen? <laughs> anyway, I don't mean to embarrass you guys. I love you so much and you know that. But anyway, John's gospel is so precious to us. But Jesus has some things to say here. And let's read this now. I'm going back to the old King James because that's what I've used forever. I'm going to pick it up at verse 20. Now, they're gone up to Jerusalem for the last time. Our Lord Jesus eventually will be crucified, buried, and raised again from the dead. So they're going up for this feast. And let's read this in verse 20. And there were certain Greeks are Gentiles among them that came up to worship at the feast. And there is the same, these same Gentiles came therefore to Philip, who was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now they'd heard about the miracles. Some of them may have even seen some of the miracles. So he was the star attraction here. Let's we want to see Jesus. So uh, Philip, he came and told Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Now listen to the enigmatic response that Jesus has with these disciples, these three, these three men. Philip, Andrew, and uh, here they are. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Uh, what hour was that? Somebody read for me. We're going to get the audience involved here. Read for me John chapter 2. This is the marriage supper at Cana, all right? John chapter 2. Somebody read it out loud, verses 1 through 4. The audience participation here this morning. Who's got it? Jimbo, come on, man. <laughs> My hour has not yet come. This was the hour that Jesus anticipated the whole of his life from the time he was a little boy. At 12 years old, he said, don't you understand? I must be about my father's business. This was the hour for which he came to us. So many scriptures come to mind. We think of John three sixteen. God so loved the world. We think of the other one. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. My hour has not yet come. This was on his mind from the day he began his ministry. Who read for me chapter 7, John 7, verse 30. My brother right here in the front row, I'm going to pick on you. 7, verse 30. Speak it up loud. Because his hour 
They were going to arrest him. But they couldn't because his hour had not yet come. Stephen, you there? Verse 28, chapter 8, verse 20. Eight twenty. You see the point we're making here? All sorts of incidents took place in Jesus' life during his ministry. But the world, the devil, nobody could do anything against him because his hour was not yet come. Now we read in John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, he is the seed of, that was promised to Abraham. It was renewed in Isaac and in Jacob. The Old Testament promises there is coming a seed. He was the seed of the woman in Genesis who was going to crush the head of Satan and his heel was going to be bruised. This is who he is. The eternal word of God made flesh and so he comes and now his hour is come this is the reason he came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost yes but to also do his father's will powerful stuff so he said except this seed falls into the ground and dies it abides alone It says here, he that loves his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, I know our time is fleeting here. Our time is going. But I just want you to think for a moment here. I remember hearing the story of how these archaeologists, years and years ago, dug up one of the tombs of one of the king's in Egypt. So this tomb hadn't been opened in a couple thousand years. And they went in and there were all these different things that they had buried the Pharaoh with, including some urns that were sealed with wax. So they opened them. And there were grain. There was grain in some of those. And you know what happened? They planted some of it. And after 2,000 years, that seed began to germinate. And a little root went down, and a little shoot went up. The root, the shoot, and then there was the fruit, right? (laughs) So it's a picture to us. Brothers, this is, I just want to get to this cut to the chase here for a minute. There are some things in the gospel obviously we have nothing a part of. We were crucified with Christ. But we also read in John 1.12, but as many as what received him. That's my part. 
To them gave he the power to become the sons of God. So there is God's part, and there is man's responsibility to that part. All right? So we're reading on here. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Now we're all just like the Lord Jesus. He was the master grain of wheat. He, in a sense, fell into the ground and died. And this massive harvest of 2,000 can you imagine how many souls have come to know Christ over the last two millennium? Tremendous. But then he says this here. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Brothers, sisters, we are seeds. And we have to be planted. So the hard shell that surrounds our little self-world has to be broken down. And then out of that death, I don't mean physical death. This is a picture here. Comes life. And we become fruitful. So there's a very real sense why Paul could say... (laughs) For to me, to live is Christ. Paul experienced what it mean, what it meant to fall into the ground as it were to himself. You know the story of Paul. It was horrific what happened to him. Can you imagine seeing the living Christ in all his glory and literally blinding your eyes? I don't know what it did to him, but it must have burned his sockets out for a while. He had to be led around. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Wow. Paul had become a seed. And he died to himself that day on the road to Damascus. And that's true. It should be true of each one of us. What does it mean? Lord Jesus, here I am. Just as I received you as my Savior and Lord, I now receive your word. Plant me at your behest. Not my will, but your will be done in my life. Amen? So it's a marvelous thing. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Stephen, I've run it on enough here. Come on up, brother. Thank you, Grandpa. That was great. Um, Today we are going to be partaking of communion. Um, Worship team, if you want to come up. To live is Christ. To die is gain. You can answer that question a lot of ways, though. To live is blank. How we answer that question defines everything about our life. For me, I want you to be honest with yourself for a moment. For me, to live is, if it's not Christ, if you've been, maybe it has been at the beginning, but now you've become distracted and other things have taken that place in your life, or maybe you've never received the gospel. Maybe Christ has never been the center of your life. He's never been your Lord. Either way, today is the day where we say, for me, to live is Christ. When Jesus 
the night before he was going to be crucified, was with his disciples. He gave them the symbol of what we call communion. It was just to take of the bread and of the wine or juice. And that represents his body and his blood that was shed for us. In uh, Luke, um, Jesus says, He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so, um, you guys can come at your own timing during these next two worship songs. Uh, Take of the bread and take of the cup. But do it in remembrance of what he has done. And if there's something in your life that you're just not ready to repent of, if there's a God in your life that you're not willing to to set aside and say, for me to to live is is Christ. Everything now in my life is If you're not ready to say that, wait and pray. Because this is a symbol of Him being our Lord and Savior. And we do it in remembrance of that. In remembrance of what He's done. Amen? So I'll pray and we'll start worship. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for sending Your Son to die on a cross for our sins, for my sins, Lord. Past, present, and future, Lord. You knew everything that we have done, are doing, or will do, God. chose to die and shed your blood for us. All mercy, grace, forgiveness, you came and you purchased us with your blood. I pray that we would just take some time and, and have reverent hearts, thankful, joyous hearts for all that you have done. That we would take of this Remember you. And even if necessary, give our life to you or rededicate our life to you today. And say, Lord, I've been caught up in other things. I want to say, for me to live.